here, and thank you for joining us on AVM Alliance, a pediatric podcast for families and friends whose lives have been affected by traumatic brain injury, rare disease, brain disorders, or stroke. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on the kid side of brain injury with honest talk, news, information, and discussion for our community. Being a parent of a medically complex child is an extremely difficult path to suddenly find yourself on. I'm Raylene Lewis, and my son Kyler suffered a hemorrhagic stroke at age 15. Thank you for joining us. We are beginning our season with a three-part The Doctor is In series, going over questions with the medical professional that parents have submitted to this podcast. This month's part one episode will focus on the different radiology tests doctors order. Next month's part two episode will continue the discussions on medical terms parents read on radiology reports, and also will go into more detail about epilepsy and EEGs, as well as stroke in infants with part three looking into questions about stem cells and other therapies and programs for kids who have suffered a stroke. Each episode for this season will end with a focus on a special children's book with a things to think about takeaway. And don't forget, we now have a support group that meets monthly over Zoom, and we would truly love to have you join us. With me today, I have the director of the Pediatric Stroke Program with the McGovern Medical School at UT Health Houston, Dr. Stuart Frazier. Dr. Frazier, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, Well, we are just so excited. We know your time is very, very valuable. I have a list of questions people had asked us. To start off now, we have access to the reports and all the tests and scans that are done. And that leads me to a couple of just, I guess, general medical school questions to start off with, if you don't mind. Those are fun. I'm happy to. One of the biggest things I think that parents look at is they want to know the results of the scans and they want to know what that means. But it's really hard to tell without Google right next to us. So really quick, can you explain? Explain the differences in the words on what we see between what is MCA, PCA, ACA? Wow, yes, I I would be happy to. That is a second or third semester of med school question once, once you get to those. So what you're talking about are different arteries that are in the brain. So there are two big groups of arteries that go to your brain. Hopefully you're not watching violent movies, but if you are, you'll you'll know about the ones on the front that you can feel with your two hands. Those are the carotid. And that supplies, we call that the anterior circulation. It supplies most of the front of your brain. And then in the back, you can't feel it. You have the basilar artery and that supplies your brain stem, a lot of the back half of your brain stuff that controls like vision and breathing and coordination. Those acronyms people like to use talk about branches of those different big arteries. So the biggest, probably most important branch of your internal carotid artery, it's the most common one that people get strokes in is the MCA, the middle cerebral artery. And not surprisingly, if you look at a cross-section of the brain, it supplies the middle part. The ACA is the anterior cerebral artery, and the PCA is the posterior cerebral artery that comes from the the back that we talked about. So the, the ACA is the front? I'm greatly oversimplifying it. 
but yes, it's more front and in the middle. I think thinking of anterior as front, middle as middle, and posterior as back would be a pretty good way to think about it. The brain can be a little counterintuitive. So when you look at the maps of what those territories are, they get sort of wonky. But yeah, that's a good way to think about it, I think. Okay. And then talking about just a couple of things that people show up with on diagnosis, can you just very briefly explain AVM and the difference between that and AVM fistula and then VOGM and then CPA? Yeah, yeah sure, sure. And arteriovenous malformation is the most common cause of hemorrhagic stroke in kids, so a bleed in the brain. Probably this happens before birth or maybe shortly afterwards. The arteries, which take very fast flowing blood, connect to veins, which carry blood back to your heart, where they're not supposed to. They're supposed to be capillaries in the middle. If they connect incorrectly, they they tend to have something in the middle called a nidus. And those nidises tend to be fragile and they can get bigger over time and they can rupture. And that's when you run into really big problems. Arteriovenous fistulas often come from a trauma. There's some sort of injury that happens that will connect arteries and veins. It's not something you're born with a lot of the times, but it can be. And those tend to have very high flow blood, so high that it can take blood flow away from areas that it needs to go. And that can cause really bad symptoms. Now, uh, we see that the effect? Yeah. We see those in trauma patients or, or patients after a, a trauma to the face sometimes. Usually those are treated by surgeons. And the vein of Galen malformation is usually something that you're born with. The big issue is that there's a connection, again, between an artery and a big vein at the center of your brain that leads that vein to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it can cause all sorts of problems after you're born. We usually watch those patients very, very closely because we're trying to let them grow and get stronger before we treat it. But if they start developing major symptoms, we, we have to treat it earlier. And a few people have started trying to treat them even before birth. Are the VOGMs the one where you tend to also see heart issues the most? Yeah, so that's how babies will present classically. In you or me, our brain is not that big compared to the rest of our body. I mean, it's big compared to most other mammals, but it's it's not that big. It, the majority of our blood flow is not going straight up to our brain. In a baby, a lot of the blood flow is going straight to their brain. So if you have this system where blood is just going straight from the artery to the vein and not slowing down, the heart is trying to perfuse the brain and the blood is just bypassing it. So the heart beats harder and harder and harder until it goes into what we call high output heart failure. Oh, wow. In my experience, and if you look at some of the medical literature out there, a lot of those kids have more difficulties with school and language later in life than I think we would think because they look so great when they're babies. And it's important to remember that if you ever have brain vessel disease, you might end up having some issues that you didn't expect. And we should always be watchful and try to help if they do pop up. Super important because that's that's a problem. I know, you know, my son Kyler has been recovering. He has a AVM that started out as a five. And a lot of people don't realize that there's anything wrong because he looks completely normal and healthy on the outside. Now, what about that CPA? Oh, Um, cerebral proliferative angiopathy. Yeah. Okay. Those are often confused with AVMs. To be honest, I, I haven't had a patient who's had a cerebral proliferative angiopathy that we've had to treat. I will say there are a lot of different brain vessel diseases out there that we don't 
entirely understand yet. And this CPA is one where they tend to be bigger, there's normal brain in between, and the treatment options are different. Okay, yeah, that's right. Very, very diffuse as compared to that compactinitis that yeah. we were talking about earlier. Here's the next question. Sorry, still going on and talking about kind of the, the MRIs and things that, that parents read in general. First question was kind of like a granola type question. How okay. worried do parents have to be about the tracer materials that's found like in a in an MRI? Because you know that an MRI does not use the same, it's different technology. So it's contrast, right? Versus a CT, which is like a radiation. Okay, great question. So if we're talking about the radiation that you receive, CAT scans use x-ray radiation or the same type of radiations that x-rays have. Those can, if you get enough of it, cause problems like increased risk of cancer down the road. In extreme cases, you could start having cell injury, but you'd have to get scan after scan after scan after scan for a long, long time. Generally, the amount that is in a CAT scan is pretty safe. We like to say it depends on the CAT scanner. But a lot of times the amount of background radiation you're getting in one CAT scan is the equivalent to, say, a back a year of background radiation of just walking around if you lived in any city in the U.S., something like that. Radiation over time does cause changes in DNA, which can cause cancer 20, 30 years down the line. We try to avoid CAT scans in children for this reason when we can. Generally, the amount of risk of direct harm from a CAT scan is pretty low. and then. MRIs, as far as we know, that just uses magnets to try to take pictures of the brain and body. And as far as we can tell, there are absolutely no harmful effects to to MRIs in humans or animals in which they've been tested on. What about the contrast? Because I know you do MRIs with and without, and the with the contrast shows like lesions, but then you're injecting something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What are you injecting? So the contrast goes, so in in CTs, it's usually iodine contrast. That iodinated contrast will make blood vessels light up because the contrast stays in blood vessels, but it will also go to places that have lots of blood going to them. So sometimes they can help us see abscesses or cancers. Mostly what we use contrast for with CAT scans are to take really detailed pictures of blood vessels. We can't see them really without them unless something's very wrong. Really, the only risk from the iodine is if you get too much of it, it can cause kidney injury. Your kidneys metabolize it and spit it out. So for you or me, we get one, it really doesn't matter. If you were to get them over and over and over again, this is why we sometimes like to wait before we keep doing repeat ones. Eventually it could cause kidney injury if you ever were to get so much that your kidneys get overwhelmed. Extremely rare for that to happen. We do it in patients, even with really bad kidney disease if we have to, but it is, it is worth mentioning. I've never actually had a case of contrast-induced kidney damage, but we always talk about it. And then for MRIs, we use GAD, GAD contrast, it's called, which has the same purpose. It lights up blood vessels and tumors, but in a way that the MRI can detect it because MRI can't really detect the iodine. And same issue, it has to go through your kidneys when we're finished with it. 
Um, in a young, healthy person, you're really not going to notice, but you do have to be careful about giving too much. And there are some extremely rare side effects that have been reported in the literature that, again, I haven't seen, but they're they're reported. For the most part, though, with both of these types of contrast, it should flush out at the end, right? You you pee it out. You got it right. That's the okay. idea. So, you know, if you work out too hard, you might become really sore because your body's overwhelmed. I kind of think of the liver and kidney as the same way as low levels of toxins they can deal with with no lasting damage. You just don't want to do too much too fast. And in fact, even when the surgeons or interventionalists are doing angiograms with a the catheter, they have calculations they have to follow about how much contrast they're able to ingest. Okay. Everybody knows what an x-ray is, right? It's for bones. Um, A a CT is kind of something that helps you look at at fleshy tissue. What's the difference between the CTA and the MRA and what people are looking for? Like with okay, the- good good question. Yeah, it, they, they differ in the way that they take images. CAT scans are based on x-rays. They shoot x-rays through something. However much signal goes through tells you how dense whatever it was passing through was. The CAT scans are just a fancy x-ray that does it a million times and makes that, that 3D picture. MRIs use a different technique to look at theoretically the same thing. So with the CAT scan, you're shooting x-rays through and hoping the iodine, which blocks a lot of radiation, will cause the blood vessels to light up. With an MRA, they use these timed pulse sequences. They're taking a measure of how long it takes hydrogen molecules to switch after you send a magnetic pulse through them. The computer can then do some calculations to see areas where they think there's water moving very fast and areas where water is moving fast would be your blood vessels. And that's what creates the picture that we see with MRAs. So an MRA is kind of more detailed on just looking at the blood vessels themselves. That's actually a good question. So believe it or not, generally, not really, as in more detailed. So the MRA is a specific sequence that only looks at the blood vessels. A CTA will look at blood vessels specifically, but it also sees the rest of the the brain is a lot of the times, and it really depends on the scanner you're using. They can have trouble seeing some of the things that we can see on CAT scans, but they also don't have any radiation. And usually we don't have to use contrast for them either. And that's why I like to get them, especially in someone who a lot of kids with strokes are getting scanned over and over again. So we're thinking 20, 30 years down the line, we'd like to avoid the radiation. Okay, so here's kind of a fun side note question on that, right? So there is the good thing called security at the airport, right? (laughs) (laughs) And at security at the airport, they have these scanners. And I know that scanners have come a long way, but as a parent of a kid who's already been exposed a lot of times, should we opt for the pat-down? That is a good question. The metal detectors, I don't think you have to worry about, last I heard. And then those those hands up one that they have. Yeah. The the last I heard about that, they're using non-ionizing radiation. And so it it shouldn't increase your risk of of cancer. I think you're okay to just not be touched and you can go like this. this Yeah. Hands up. We're here to party. All right. And we will look forward to next month's episode where we continue our discussion with the director of the Pediatric Stroke Program with the McGovern Medical School at UT Health Houston, Dr. Stuart Frazier, as he explains a lot of the words we read on the radiology reports, as well as the squiggles parents see on an EEG. 
The doctor will also answer epilepsy questions, questions about stroke in infants, and even a few on stroke and the COVID-19 virus. I hope you will join us as we continue this discussion next month. The focus of this month's Things to Think About is based on the children's book, Maybe, a Nautilus Award winner by Kobe Yamada. This book beautifully tells the story that no matter our circumstances or background, there is endless potential in each one of us. It is easy to wonder why. Why am I here? Why did this happen to me or to my child, to my life? But it can be hard to remember that you are the only you there will ever be and that each one of us has something very special to offer. Even though our journey may be extremely hard, with times where we can only focus on the next right thing, it is only when you go on a journey that discoveries are made. On your path, a time will come where you are there to help in a way that only you can. Maybe it will be to help others see the beauty in a day, shine a light into places that have been dark for far too long, or speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, or maybe it will be something else completely. And although there will be struggles and fears and even failure, this world needs each one of us and the unique gifts that only we can offer to those around us. Thank you, Kobe, for this valuable and important lesson. And as always, if you have questions or have a topic you would like to hear about, don't be shy. Share it in the comments and let us know. And if you liked what you heard today, please go online and rate this podcast. Remember, you're never walking this journey alone. Take care, y'all.